What does a Bill Barlow do? He pulled the old switcheroo. That's exactly what he did. And he said he wanted me to preach tonight's message this morning. So in obedience, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I pray that if he did that for your benefit, that you're alert to what he's got in store for you. And that you will um, be receptive in both your mind and your heart to what he's got to say. Certainly one of the big reasons why the Lord would do such a thing is because he knows that the United States of America, that Bethel Baptist Church, and every one of us in this building as an individual Christian needs to experience revival. Do you believe that? Every one of us need it. You may be here, but God wants you here. And if you're here, God wants you there. And if you're there, God wants you there. You can never get too close to God, okay? So we're all in need of a revived Christian life. The Word of God also gives us many pictures of what a successful Christian life looks like. He also encourages us and His Word shows us how the rest of our life can indeed be the best of our Christian life. Now there was one word in all three of those statements that jumped, should jump out at you. And that word was Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? The answers that you get to that question will depend on who you ask. Some people believe that Belonging to a church makes you a Christian. Some people believe that you being baptized in water makes you a Christian. Some people will say, if you're religious, you're a Christian. Others will say, if you're just a good guy, you're a Christian. And that's enough. For you to wear that name, Christian. So what does it mean then to be a Christian? Well, to answer that correct question, we have to look at the word. That word Christian itself literally means the Christ ones. And that name came, history tells us and the Bible tells us, that that name came from a town called Antioch. Say that. Antioch. It's a place that was north of Jerusalem and it came from Antioch, but the name came from unbelievers. That name came from unbelievers who were offended by the clean lifestyle and by the preaching of believers. And they gave them that name Christian as an insult. A person, unbeliever from Antioch might look at you and say, oh, you're one of those Christ ones. It was intended as an insult. But instead of insulting the believers, it perfectly summed up who we are, or at least who we should be. So then a Christian, a Christ one, is one who is like Christ. You see, just going to 
or joining a church cannot make you a Christian. Being a good moral person cannot make you a Christian. Just claiming the name for yourself or your organization cannot make you a Christian. In fact, chew on this one for a second. Just being saved cannot make you a Christian. Now, I'll be the first one to say a Christian must be saved. But many saved people never become like Christ. To be a Christian means you become like Christ. You are a Christ one. But we tend tend to lump all saved people, all people who have made some confession or profession of faith in Jesus, we lump them all in the same pile and we call them a Christian. But I think today we're going to see as Jesus begins sharing about his impending death, him being the master teacher. Would you agree that Jesus is just an awesome teacher? Uh, A master teacher. He begins to use this event as an opportunity to teach his men about the heart of real Christianity. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that we understand the heart of real Christianity? It's important because so many people have no idea what it really means to be a Christian. And many churches, friends, are missing the boat when it comes to demonstrating this heart of real Christianity. So the message and today's passage is a call for all believers to return to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. We call ourselves a Christian church. Are we a church filled with Christians? Turn with me to Luke chapter 9 in your Bibles. In Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to begin in verse 18, give you a little bit of background. And Dr. Luke wrote, And it happened as he, Jesus, was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And Jesus asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered and they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. Jesus then said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter jumped up and said, you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And he, Jesus, strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying this, the son of man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he must be killed. And 
he must be raised again on the third day. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And don't miss this verse. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What must we understand in order to determine if we are a Christian or not? First thing you must do is you must find your heart. You must find your heart. Jesus says, if any man will come after who? Me. He didn't say, if any man will come after Baptists, or if any man will come after Bethel Baptist Church, or if any man will come after Brother Bill. No, he said, me. Where is your heart? Jesus and him alone should be at the heart of everything we do as individuals and a church and everything we are as believers. He and he alone. If we are going to experience the power of real Christianity in our lives and in this church, we've got to find our heart. This morning I ask you, where's your heart? Where is your heart? That simply means we're going to have to discover what makes me tick. What really makes me tick? And you can begin this process by asking just a few simple questions. First question. Why are you here today? Why are you here today? Do you know that you always get what you come after? Why are you here? Are you here to have some expectations met? Are you here to fulfill a weekly duty perhaps? Are you here out of habit? Are you here um, just simply because... You want to be seen or you want to see who's here? Did you come because, you know, I just love church. I come because, I don't know, I just, I feel fulfilled when I leave. Do you love the Lord and desire to worship him more than anything else in your life? You see, that last one is the real and only reason, the real only valid reason to attend church is because you love the Lord and you want to see him raised up in your mind and in your heart and in the heart of this church. You see, you will always benefit when you come. I'm not denying that. I pray that you always leave here blessed. I hope you do find fulfillment when you come here. But that can't be the reason that you come. That's a very selfish reason. Would you agree? We come because we love the Lord and we desire to worship him. He is the sole reason that we come. Second question. Not only why are you here, but 
Why does this church exist? This church has been around over 100 years. Churches exist for many, many reasons. Too often they exist because somebody started it 100 years ago and it's just what they do. But in reality, there are only three valid reasons why a church should exist. First and foremost, we must exalt our sovereign God. If we're not exalting our sovereign God, friends, we don't deserve the name church and none of us deserve the badge, the the name Christian. Jesus explained to the Samaritan woman very well. He said, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. This is what God wants. He wants you to get up and come here because you love him and you desire to worship him. But not only to exalt our sovereign God, which should be first and foremost, but second, to come to equip and encourage the saints of God. You need to come here for me. I come here for you. And vice versa, we all come here for one another. There's somebody here that needs some encouragement from you. And nobody else can give it quite like you. So you need to come to equip and encourage a saint. The apostle Paul testified that Jesus Christ himself gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the encouraging of the whole body of Christ until all of us reach the fullness of unity. He wants us all to grow up together. And it takes all of us to help one another to do that. So first and foremost, this church exists to exalt our sovereign God. Secondly, to equip and encourage the saints. But thirdly, to evangelize sinners to God. Just in our neighborhood right here, there are so many lost people. And God wants to use his body. He wants to use his children to get that life-saving good news out out to some people. Jesus commanded that we go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things that he had taught and commanded them. Evangelizing sinners to God is so important. But all three of those are things that you'll see prominently in the first church. It was there. They did all three and they did it very well. But it's these three things that should make every member of this church tick. Those three things should be in your heart. See, when the call to come after me was issued by the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to register differently depending on who's listening to it. Everybody's in a different spiritual plane. So depending upon where you're at, it's going to mean something different to you. For instance, to the lost person, when Jesus says, come after me, it means, hey, I can be saved. 
if I come after Jesus. I can be saved. Jesus can give me a new heart. But you know, to save people, it means something different. It means I need to be sold out. I need to be sold out to my Lord and come after him. Jesus can refocus my heart. Yes, it's possible to be saved. It's possible even to be accurate or active. But some people don't have a heart for God, don't have a heart for Jesus. So in all honesty today, not before me, but before God, let me ask you this question. What makes you tick? Where is your heart? What is the heartbeat of your life today? Do you as an individual need to rediscover what makes you tick? Do you need to rediscover your heartbeat for God? After we find our heart, and I'd suggest to you that some of us do, After we find our heart, then we must focus our heart. We must focus our heart. Jesus calls his disciples to come after me. That implies a very diligent effort, an intentional effort to come after him, to work at it, to come after him, to seek after him. I mean, if we're really in love with Jesus and he is the central love of our hearts, then we're going to have a desire to be wherever he is, right? I love Janet, and I love being wherever she is. I like hanging out with her because I love her, and I want to be with her. The same thing goes with our relationship with Jesus. Do you want to be where he is? Do we have the same hunger for the Lord that was deep within the heart of David? When he said, as the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for you, O Lord. Do we have that kind of desire? I challenge you to think the Lord wants you to have that kind of desire. Where you thirst for him. You know, for the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, this call to follow Him meant forsaking everything else. Do you remember what Jesus said? Come up to a bunch of fisher boys, and He said, Come after me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets and followed Him. I submit to you this morning, for us, that may mean the very same thing. I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know if that's where God's got you, but it may mean that immediately you need to stop what you're doing and come after him. You address that in your prayer. Because the Lord taught us this. If anyone desires to be a follower and does not love Jesus far more than father, far more than mother, far more than wife or children, brothers or sisters, yes, even more than his own life, He cannot be my disciple. So who's got to be number one, folks? Tell me. Jesus has got to be number one. He's got to be number one. Your life boils down to this. Priorities. You know what your priorities are. 
You go where you want to go, don't you? Don't you? I mean, you do really what you want to do, don't you? I mean, you follow who you want to follow, don't you? Are you willing to do what you love to do? Absolutely. The Lord's call for us is to focus our hearts. To focus our hearts upon him and go with him wherever he leads us. Is your heart focused this morning? Is it focused on the Lord Jesus Christ? What has your heart today? Where have you been focusing your heart's efforts? Who's first in your life today? May the Lord help every one of us to come to the place where there's nothing in our lives that means more than Jesus Christ and following his will for our life. May we come to the place, may we remain in the place where our central focus is nothing but Jesus and his perfect will. Friends, we've got to find our heart. And then once you find your heart, you've got to focus your heart. But unless you get this next step right, you'll always be found lacking. Because there are people who have found their heart and they even begin to focus their heart. But what they don't do is they don't follow their heart. We must follow our heart. I mean, if Jesus has our heart and we're in love with him, more than anything else in this world, and we're focused on His will for, for our lives in this church, then we need to take whatever steps are necessary to ensure that we follow with all our heart. I mean, if Jesus has my heart, then let's follow Him, right? But I want you to notice in that passage, especially in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Some simple things that Jesus calls us to do if we're going to follow the heart that he has. The first thing is, is we're called to lay something down. He said, deny himself. Did you catch that? Let him deny himself. That phrase literally means this. Completely disown it. That phrase literally means utterly separate yourself from something. That's right. We are called to separate ourselves from self. Did y'all get that? Separate yourself from self. The disciple is to utterly disown himself. The disciple is to refuse to acknowledge self or the the person of that old man that died. The disciple, friend, is dead to his old life. He has disowned self. Romans 6.11 tells us that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive in God through Christ Jesus our Lord. To deny oneself means to follow that wonderful example set forth by the Lord Jesus when he came in this world. I wonder if you remember. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2.
we're to follow his example, just listen to what he did. Philippians chapter 2. The word of God tells you, tells me, to let this mind be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he was God, he is God. He didn't consider it robbery being equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is the example that we're called to follow. Does that sound hard to anybody? Anybody? Does that sound hard? Guess what? It sounds hard because it is hard. It is hard to die to self, to die to our own desires, to give our desires over to the will of God and to follow his desires instead. It sounds hard because it is hard. Self does not like to be denied. We want to do what we want to do. So we think that's not even possible to follow Jesus like he did. But we're called to lay something down, and that is ourself. But we're also called to lift something up. Notice he said, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What? How often? Daily. Take up his cross daily. See, when Jesus spoke about the cross, everybody knew what he was talking about. It's estimated that 30,000 Jews died by being crucified on a cross just during Jesus' lifetime. Everybody knew what Jesus was talking about. He knew, they knew what the cross meant. When Jesus said that we're to take up our cross, he's saying that we are to live as dead people. Dead to self, that is. He said that we're called to embrace the fact that self is gone, that self has died. We're called to do just what Jesus did. He said, he told the disciples in verse 22, he said, I'm going to suffer many things, be rejected. I'm going to be killed and raised again on the third day. He knew what was coming. And he's calling us to live the same way. But you know, to understand what this cross is that Jesus is talking about, to understand what this cross is that we're called to take up, the first thing we need to do is we need to understand what it's not. Okay? This cross that Jesus is telling us to take up, it doesn't mean that you're bearing with your lost husband or wife. It doesn't mean that. It does not mean that you're bearing with your wayward children. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you're bearing with your mother-in-law. Amen? Your cross is not handling the difficulties and trials you find in your life. It's not that. The cross is not just a place of suffering. The cross is a place of death. Death to self. It's an instrument of death. Taking up the cross means accepting the rejection Jesus received. It means accepting the suffering 
that Jesus received, it means accepting the death that Jesus received because we're following in his footsteps. Nothing in our lives means more than following Jesus. To take up your cross means that you are to willingly identify yourself with the Lord Jesus, with his death, with his word. Get this. If you're listening, say amen. Amen. Regardless of the cost. Regardless of the cost to you personally. Regardless of the cost to you publicly. Regardless of the cost to you financially. You are to identify yourself with your Lord. Now, that's not a side of Christianity most people want to hear about. Amen? It's not very popular to talk about sacrifice. Nobody wants to give up what's mine. It's not very popular to talk about death and suffering. Nobody wants to hear about that business. But let me tell you something. That is what real Christianity is about. Death to self. Submitting ourselves to his rule. Yielding our lives so that he can use us for his glory. That's real Christianity. That's the heart of real Christianity. And I believe the sooner we learn that truth, the sooner God can bring revival into us individually, into this church as a body. But too many churches are filled with people who don't even have the heart of a real Christian. They haven't found their heart. They're not focusing their heart. And they're certainly not following their heart. So we're called to lay something down ourselves. We're also called to lift something up, and that's that same cross that Jesus lifted up, identifying with him. But we're also called to live something out. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after, to seek after me and me alone, let him Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, we're not called to take up that cross and once and for all just kind of give it a half-hearted effort. We're called to take up that cross once and for all and go after Jesus with all that's in us, our entire life, with all we got. We're not called to back out. Because things get tough. We're not called to give up the minute we come against the challenge. We're not called to turn around just because it gets a little difficult. No. You're not to lay down that cross for anything. Day in, day out, we're called to identify with he who is our Lord, Jesus. We're to die on that cross and give our all For his glory. Does it sound hard? Anybody? Does it sound hard? Guess what? It is hard. That phrase, follow me, has the idea of being willing to go all the way. All the way. 
for Jesus. No holds barred. No turning back. Just a steady, humble walk following in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ. Never turning back. Never giving up. Never laying down that cross. Jesus said it as simply as possible. In John 12, 26, he said this, and listen carefully. He said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, guess where the servant's going to be? Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor. You know, if people want to be saved, they can be. They can be saved, but there's only one way that's ever going to happen. That is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But something dramatically happens in the life of a believer. He or she is not satisfied with only having saved his or her own hide. They now have a desire to see their neighbor saved. Their family member saved. Their parent saved. That stranger down the road saved. That classmate saved. That co-worker saved. It's not enough that I saved my own hide. I want more than that. Why? Because that's what Jesus wants. And I follow him. God is inflexible and he's firm on the point that we're only saved through faith in Christ. Period. The Bible's clear. In fact, his son stated it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through. God's made up his mind about this matter. He's made up his mind. He's written it in stone. If you want to be saved, you can be, but only on God's terms. And that's through faith in his son. But let me tell you something. He's also inflexible about this matter of being a disciple. If you want to know the heart of the matter, if you want to experience the real heart of Christianity, then you're going to have to go all the way for Jesus. You see, you can have as much or as little of God as you want. Isn't it sad how many people choose so little? And why do they choose so little? Because they're not willing to come after Him, to deny themselves to take up their cross daily and follow him. If you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can. But you better hear and you better heed the cost because it's hard. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some intention. It's going to take some denial. It's going to take some cross-bearing. It's going to take some following.
But until this happens in our lives, you will never experience all that God has in store for you. Your invitation today is a two-part invitation. One, you can be saved. The book of Romans tells us that if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This invitation is you can be saved today. But how many people do you know? And we talked about this in our Sunday school class today. How many people do you know that have made that confession, made that proclamation, but never became a disciple of the Lord Jesus? So the second part of this invitation then is not only can you be saved, but for the first, maybe the first time in your life, you can be a Christian. What does that take? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If you haven't been doing that and you know, then I want to encourage you and invite you to come and allow me the privilege of praying with you and just asking for the Lord's guidance to help make a Christian out of the saved person that you are. But if you've never had a for real faith experience, placing all your trust, all your hope, all of your future in Jesus, I invite you to be saved today too. You can have as much or as little of God as you want. Let me pray for you.